Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0, and still looking for respect nationwide. What is up, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. We are back following OU's first road win in the Brent Venables era. They went up to Lincoln, Nebraska, damn near hung half a hundred on them, held them to 14 points. The Sooners played defense, the Sooners played offense, and the Sooners played special teams dmac how you feeling about what the sooners did man i feel like i done went into a time uh time zone and went back to 2001 circa 2000 that was a complete victory um i love the attitude and obviously we're gonna dive into it but seeing us play with the level of edge we just hadn't seen i think uh Urban, you know, the game was on Fox and Urban Meyer was saying before the game, he picked uh, Nebraska to win 26-28. And then at halftime, he had to correct himself and say, I got to say, that is a different team. And so for the people who actually watched the game and actually got to see what we were uh, able to pull off in that environment, man, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm optimistic. We got two more. I told you, I told you this. I think in the last pod, in two weeks, we'll know exactly who we are. These next two weeks are going to be critical and basically land the foundation, in my opinion, for the next, I'd say, two to four years. These two weeks will really be indicative of what the Sooners are going to be looking like with the next entire recruiting class that will be coming in, um, signing the dotted line in December and in February. You know, DMAC, it's interesting uh, kind of moving forward through this season. We have seen so many teams with the elite talent, with uh, top-tier coaches, or so they say, uh, top-tier coaches go out there and lay absolute eggs. Uh, just a, a quick stat for the folks. OU gave up 77 yards on Nebraska's first possession and then gave up 71 yards for the rest of the first half. They went out there and they played defense. They were moving fast. Um, they they had an early possession where it, it felt like we were having a little bit of PTSD there, man. It felt like things were odd. Oh, is this still is this something that still is with the program when it comes to playing defense? And there was multiple camera shots of Coach Venables on the sideline with the defense right after that very first possession. He rallied the troops. And before we get into the details of the game, just to go over atmosphere a little bit, I mean, you've been there, and obviously Nebraska isn't what they were back in the 90s and when you played with with Eric Crouch and some of the great defensive talent that they had, but they still sell that place out. And those fans are still very proud. In that game, well, we saw what happened last year in Norman with a lot of the same players defensively. What did OU do to, to stem the tide, to keep this thing from getting away, to keep that doubt from sinking in when they had the entire, I would say, 80, 90% of the stadium against them, maybe the eight, 10,000 OU fans there, but what kept them 
from having that tide turned um, in, in Nebraska uh, doing what they did last year. So let me say this, B. People always want to talk tangibles. You know, um, someone posted a Twitter um, meme and it essentially had the top five new hires in college football and it had Napier, it had uh, it had Link, it had the kid in Notre Dame, um, it had, uh, who were the other two they had? They had, uh, obviously, Brian Kelly. Kelly, and yep. They, and they had, um, they didn't have BV. Let's just say that. They didn't have mm. BV. And I, I found it very interesting because, right, everyone has their pitch. Link, what is he? He's an offensive guru, right? They say the kid in Notre Dame, they say he's a relational guy, right? Uh, obviously, I would say Brian Kelly of the crew was probably the safest pick. He's a guy who has the pedigree to say he's built programs and has played at a high level and, and made it to championships and, and playoffs and things of that nature. Uh, Napier obviously is another guy who comes with, uh, oh, that's who it was. It was crystal ball. It was crystal ball, right? Crystal ball is the recruiting guru and the offensive line guy who comes from the, uh, the Saban tree. I believe, I believe he was his old line coach uh, in yesteryears and BV wasn't there, but what's BV's calling card? Number one, stability. Number mm. two, uh, during the game, they said he's he was the defensive coordinator in eight of the last 22 national championship games. And number three is culture. And you ask the question about stemming the tide of the first, you know, what was it? Three minutes and 22 seconds when we're down seven to zero. And, and we, I think we don't go three and out, but we, you know, I think we go three or four plays the first possession. Um, the answer to that question, Barry, is culture. You, there has to be something to stem the tide of the very human part of us that is uneasiness, um, concern, and doubt. When doubt starts to creep in, it'll minimize, you know, the fastest man in track and field, the smartest individual when they're doing an SAT exam, or the most beautiful woman or handsome guy when they're trying to talk to a, you know, someone of the opposite sex. Or I guess in 2022, I should probably say whoever, right? Whatever, the, whatever the pronoun is. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but but point being is this Brent Venables comes and says that's not who we are and I'm texting my buddies we have a couple group texts uh, alumni and some ex uh, sooner ball players um, and you know I, I'm pissed and we're going to talk about scheme here in a second and I'm going to I'm going to take by the way this will be the deepest dive I've done in scheme in a long time I can't wait to dive into it because I was a kid in the candy store oh it's going to be a deep dive bro scheme deep dive especially defense um, now I'm an offensive guy, but what 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 we saw on Saturday is the residual footprint of a Brent, of a Brent Venables coach team, of a Brent Venables program, of 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 young men who have been, uh, I would even say, kind of religiously trained to go on to the next play and play at a hundred percent right capacity, because <clears throat> that first drive, uh, Thompson has a clean pocket. Right. We've got the puppy in playing high safety on the on the strong side of the formation. And obviously he just gets kind of lulled to sleep. He's got deep half and he got lulled and, he, and, and the receiver got across his face. Um, but like you said, it looked like right. How many times have we seen Lincoln in that position? How many oh. times have we seen a Mike Stoops coach defense in that in that position? Like this is kind of the old footprint of of who we were for what, 15 years? 10 years and so it wasn't like we're in a situation where we dominate 
there has to be a foundation that's different. There has to be, right, a, another example that that program has had the last eight months to say, yo, we're going to toss that to the side and we're going to get busy. Because from that moment, we're at a crossroads. It's like, yo, do we, are we who we thought we were? Or are we the same old, you know, guys wearing these, these uh, Jordan uniforms and we're front runners? Yesterday was the first step in breaking the Lincoln Riley, uh, uh, I don't know, voodoo of Oklahoma is a front runner program. And and the, the part that kind of sucks is, yep, they had just fired their coach and they're in transition. And obviously it's a down year. And so people swept it under the rug, but the real Sooners know what happened, right? The, the, the Crimson and Cream Nation, we saw that game. And we've seen, a, a, a I don't know, a hundred other games in that same scenario against a Bowling Green, against a Tulsa, against a, a TCU before they joined the Big 12, against some of these other sisters of the poor universities who have no business being on the same field with us and feeling like they can play with confidence. But this was Nebraska. And for, I believe, from the 322 mark until eight minutes in the third quarter, they had like 78 total yards when we put the puppies in. Right. There was a stat that said they got 140 ish yards the first possession and then that last drive when they scored the touchdown uh, to get to make it 14 in the middle. They had 70 yards, 70. So I'm excited, bro. That's that's to me. That is one giant first step towards us letting everybody I told I said in the pod. We're putting everybody on notice that not only is Oklahoma going to play, uh, you know, with talented guys, but we are going to out physical people. And, you know, seeing that and, and having them actually, you know, pull that off. Makes me proud, brother. Makes me proud. Man, when, when Coach Venables arrived, there was a lot of guessing as to who he would retain who they would let go. And the, there was thought that maybe a coach Thibodeau gets retained. Maybe an Odom with the local ties is able to stick around. But as, as we saw, and, and with all due respect to the guys who were let go, some who are at USC now, some who are at other places, yesterday I think was the, the first example of why they had to fully turn over the defensive staff. And I, I like to think about it almost like, like a restaurant that maybe they've been okay for a while. Sometimes you go there, they're, they're pretty good. Sometimes you go there, they're not so good. But then all of a sudden people start going there and they start getting really sick every time they leave. They go there and they come, they leave and they come back. They try it again. They keep trying this place until, until finally they're just like, I've had enough. I am not going back to that place. That place could try and tell you we've got our food from a different spot. We're now cooking it differently. We've upped our preparation and our health guidelines. But you've seen what that group of people ha have done. And it, it might look a little better, but you've seen what they've done over the, the tenure that you've been going there. And you're just like, I'm not going back. The only option they have and the only way you're going back is if it's a clean slate that's a brand new restaurant everybody's turned over there's new ownership 
there's not any stench, if you will, um, of what was there before. And, and confidence is such a major, major factor when it comes to sports that if you have anybody who was left over from that previous regime where you could have any of that doubt creep into a single position group, yep. man, that's, that's going to be that that's hard to turn the tide on. And that to me was a prime example of, of why that turnover had to happen uh, quickly before we get into the defensive, uh, the, the scheme talk and the X's and O's um, offensively got off to a slow start, but the, that second drive, I believe it was uh, Dylan Gabriel on a third and seven showed off some feet, man. Uh, he was pretty quick at UCF and I told people like, he's going to be, he's not Landry Jones back there. He's maybe not quite Trevor Knight. <laughs> shout out to Landry. Shout out to Landry, but he can move enough. You know, maybe you desire a little bit more uh, pocket awareness and mobility in the pocket. And maybe that'll come as the season goes and he gets more comfortable with the offensive line, but you saw the feet. And then from there, the offense, man, that, that they took over, what did you think of the offense, but both in that first possession where they struggled a little bit, but then how they ended up going five of seven possessions on the next seven uh, with nothing but touchdowns? Yeah, so obviously a work in progress. <clears throat> you know, you come in with a defensive-minded coach, and and he, although Lebby is a phenomenal OC, and, and I'm starting to see the, I'm starting to see the the framework of what the offense is going to look like. We opened it up a little bit more Saturday. Uh, but I, I am going to be patient with the offense. I feel like the offense has players, you know, and, and every week I see some different things that that gives me more uh, the more of the impression that they're going to be. I would even say they have the ability to be elite this year. I, I firmly believe they have the ability to be elite this year. We're not there yet. But that first possession, I, again, I think it's a little bit of, you know, we had turnover in the coaching. Um we did not have turnover in the players. Obviously, we had some guys transfer out. But what I mean by that is a lot of our returning players are there. And we've seen the makeup of our team in, in years past and in seasons past. And so I, I was a little, you know, I was a little concerned. Um, I feel like he missed a throw the first possession or maybe it got tipped. Um, I don't think I think he has great feet in the pocket. I think he holds on to the ball too much in the pocket. Like I said last week. We're running action quick game. And really, that was he had an action. He had a, a true RPO a couple of times. And with that RPO, first, second, third read isn't there. He's got to have internalized clock that says either run or just throw. Like it's college football. You can literally just throw the ball at the yard marker and there's no intentional grounding so long as you're, you know, out escape the pocket. And so I, I, you know, someone said something. One of my buddies said something. And I actually agree with this, Barry. I think he's afraid to make a mistake. And because he's afraid to, and I think you said this or one of the earlier pods, if if maybe week one, I think once he throws his first pick, whether it's a you know whether it's a, a nerf or whether a DB makes a great play or it's a t a tipped ball or whatever the case may be, I think he kind of loses that kind of a shell, and he pulls the trigger more because you can see there are times the O line, I, I'm sure they're kind of like, dude, you're screwing up our stats, bro. Because they're holding two, three, four, five seconds, and you can see him first, second, third, fourth read, or whatever he's looking at, and he won't throw the ball, and he won't just escape the pocket, and he won't throw it away. So, so that is an issue for me. 
<clears throat> um, but I, the other thing too is it's it's an away game. Let me tell you, man. Nebraska has dope fans. They have a phenomenal environment. They get loud. Uh, they know how to leverage themselves as a twelfth man. They're, they're they're very intentional in what they do, and and uh, you heard Urban Meyer and, and Reggie Bush Bush both say on the telecast that they picked uh, Nebraska because of the energy in the building. So we know that place was rocking um, that first possession, and you know the, those those guys are kids. I remember the A and M game and how we started out flat uh, over there and at, at Kyle Field, you know, in College Station and, and they jumped on us early. And, and if Torrance Marshall doesn't make a phenomenal play, right, who knows where our season goes, but it was really good to see, um, them overcome that. And let me tell you a dirty secret, Barry. And I think you'll agree. I don't know if you'll agree, but like they definitely didn't draw up that QB draw to score a touchdown. And it definitely took a lot of the anxiety off the entire team. That, that play is designed to pick up a first. That play is designed to get you 10 or 12 yards. Salute to the receivers. I don't know if you guys watched it, but on film, you can see those guys are blocking their tails off down the field, 10, 20, 30, 40 yards down the field. And like you said, he's probably a 4-7-1, 4-6-9 you know, guy. I'd say 4-7. And that's fast. That's plenty fast enough to get a lane and get some momentum and get down the field and um, it was good. It was a confidence builder for him. You know, it was a confidence builder for the team. And, and it was a, it was a gulp. It was a huge gulp to that crowd because we all knew they were hopefully optimistic that they could get some momentum and, and, and ride that wave and, and him, you know, scoring that touchdown and putting us back in a place. We're like, okay, zero, zero, you guys got to do it again. And then, uh, coach V dialing it up baby we're gonna get on this scheme in a second but coach v dialing it up with of course the tweak he did in in, in the, the personnel groupings he put in on saturday it made it very quick and very easy, simple to see it was big bro playing against little redhead step little bro and uh y'all gonna take this butt whooping for the next 57 minutes and you gonna like it yeah man a lot of people were they picked nebraska because of the energy they felt they would get with the new coach. Nebraska is not completely absent of talent. And, you know, I talked about this with Brian Christofferson of 24 seven Nebraska. When you start looking at the 24 seven composites and just the, the, the recruiting analytics of it, that they're not getting scrubs that they have players who knows, you know, what all has gone into that program really being what it is now. But people pick them because of the energy and because what OU has done in the past. And it's a little disingenuous to be picking Nebraska and then OU goes out there, takes care of business and gets the job done handily. And then now people are like, well, well, they should have done that anyways. Like, uh-uh, can't have it both ways. So stand man, by your man, pick. Crazy? It, it's, it's one of the most annoying things that, Obviously, fans do it, but even the the educated, you know, guy the, or or gal, uh, the the experts, if you will, on on TV and the radio, they do the same daggum thing. Uh, so, man, staying with the offense just a little bit because I, I know sure. the listeners are going to want to hear about the defense. The offensive line has caught some heat, particularly first half of the Kent State game. This is the first game where. Wanya Morris did not start. Uh, 64 out there was not there to start that first possession, but he came in shortly thereafter. Um, not just singling him out, 
but but just the offensive line as a whole. And you know, we know that Nebraska's defensive line is probably not even you know some of those guys Kent State actually had were were pretty doggone good. UTEP had a guy or two, um, so maybe Nebraska is not what they're going to see. Obviously, next week against Kansas State, uh, they're going to see some guys who can play. But the offensive line performed. You had Gray average 10.3 yards a carry, I believe it was. He had a career high in rushing yards. Was there anything specifically that they did in this game that you saw that helped them have more success, paving the way for not just the pocket to be clear for for DG, but also for the running lanes that guys had uh, in the game? Yes, and I'm so glad you brought this up because it pisses me off. Barry, this pisses me off, and I want to make sure I say this simply for uh, the Sooner Nation. Week one and week two, I said it over and over and over again. Coaches want to see film. Coaches want to know what they have. There's a reason football programs pay half a million, a million dollars, 1.1, 1.5, to bring in the caliber of team they bring in. They want to bring in a team that's decent enough to give them a look, but beatable enough to where they can be very vanilla and really extend fall camp. <clears throat> I, I I have to differ with you on the on the quality of talent at Kent State and UTEP versus Nebraska, which, by the way, I don't have analytics and numbers, but here's what I do know. Like you said, 24-7 composites show that Nebraska's guys are higher-rated guys than the the UTEP and, and Kent State guys. <clears throat> the difference is, against Kent State and UTEP, our coaches are asking our guys to just go and out-athlete and run our stuff. I said it last week. And the and the and the game validated it for me on Saturday. Mm. Nebraska's the first week we are scheming our O line to actually practice and rep what the defenders and the stunts and the alignments and the fronts they're going to see specifically against Nebraska. And so, yeah, you're going to get a scouting report and you're going to get, you know, the numbers on the players and who their studs are. But the difference is, is this week, we don't know what Nebraska is going to do, especially with Frost getting fired. I know for sure they schemed on second and long. They generally run this front and first or third and medium. These are the two DNs they like to rush the quarterback with on first and 10. This is the primary nose guard, and this is what he's good at. This is the reason they use him. And so these are the plays we want to run against these fronts. It's a deeper level of preparation. It is a more attention to detail um, philosophy. And in reality, what it is, it's the actual chess match, chess match that is football versus the old you know, 1980s, when you did student body left and student body right, and you get a guard on this side and you get the guard on that side and you get the alley and like that stuff, that's not football anymore. You can't be a simple minded, dumb jock and play football these days. Although people like to say it, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, the guys you see playing football by and large, except for a few positions, they have to be smart because there are on the fly adjustments you have to make. And this week in practice, Barry, the offensive line, it was clear to me. They had a plan, and every man knew what he was supposed to do. I counted there were seven plays in the first half where we had a hat on a hat, and the play design was perfect. I'd be willing to bet 
Bimbo can do a clinic on the film from Saturday's game. And it's not because Nebraska has a bunch of slappies. It's because, uh, like you said, Wanye and Harrison and, and Murray and the rest of the crew, those guys repped against the scout team as if they were repping against Nebraska's guys. And, and kind of here's a, here's a cool little story. When I was at OU, it was always um, fall camp, good on good. Week one, week two, it would just be us versus whoever, like, let's just say, who. let's say we, we, we played UTEP national championship season. In fact, we played them week one. They ran a 333 stack. All we did was run, the, the scout ran a 33 stack, and we just went against that defense. You know, they were, they were in a cover a cover five, which is a shell defense, five under two deep. And um we ran that we ran against that in practice. But here's 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 the, the nuance, Barry. Once we got to Kansas week, and that's hilarious that you brought that up last week. All of a sudden, that Monday practice is actually Tuesday practice. The scout guys, they're wearing the Kansas guys' numbers. So now it's a it's a it's like let's say Kansas best. DB is number five. Well, our best scout DB gets number five. It's like a it's like a tradition that week. Let's say Kansas' best backer is number 13. Well, our freshman redshirt back, you know, Teddy Lehman, Teddy and Teddy was with the defense, so he's not the guy in the example. But like let's just say it was Teddy, Teddy would be 13 that week. I'm telling you, if I were to send a text message right now and ask somebody and said, Hey, let me ask you a question. And this week of practice, did the Scout team defense where Nebraska's numbers, I'd be willing to bet 500 bucks they did. Because this week in practice, they are O line. We got to get ready for K State, man. K State lost. I understand that. But like that game is a game intentionally there to prepare us. So I don't think it was because Nebraska was a deficient front. I think it was because as a program, we took our level of preparation and our level of detail up a level and I don't want it and, and it's not an indictment on coaching it is the reality that the coaches want to see our players just put in positions where they've got to just beat their man on talent or you know how they're going to respond to adversity on film so seven plays where we got a hat on a hat clearly we saw a lot of people find success in the running game I loved the way great great how about the jump cut you know, I kept texting people like the jump cuts working today. <laughs> the jump cut was sexy on two of his TD runs. He obviously does the jump cut on the uh, the safety. And, and it's I mean, he literally doesn't get touched because of that cut. So that that cut was very useful for Greg. Majors had a phenomenal um, trick play where he was in the backfield and he kind of snuck out and they did the, the double pass. And then he ran physical between the tackles as a running back as well. So I just wanted to to hit on the point. You know, of seeing our guys actually play with confidence on knowing what their expectations were to do um, on the line of scrimmage. Great day. But I think that's the best in terms of like fundamentals. I think that's the best day I've seen the old line have against a non, you know, um, what is that? F FCS or, you know, non power five team we've played probably since like Mixon and Ryan. Yeah. In terms of just like hat on a hat, right? The guys are running a daylight. Brooks will break a play and and he'll run through trash. But I mean, like just from a fundamental standpoint, the old line. You, if you go back and watch film, and by the way, they had some busts and a couple of guys got beat. Um, 
But, man, it was really good to see them move as a unit. Really, really, really something that I paid close attention to. And you saw we were texting in one of our groups, and I was like, yo, hat on a hat up to the safety. The safety is the only guy who can make a play. And, and man, that was that was really good to see. Yeah, they did much better, it seemed, getting to the second level with their their blocks. Like the, the previous two weeks, it felt like, they they'd miss miss a, a inside backer. They they they'd not seal the edge. There would be something that would keep a play that could have potentially gone for thirty. It went for six. So you you felt that, and I think it's interesting you talk about scheme, but but you felt that from the very start of the game. Like even though that first drive didn't necessarily go as planned. You saw gaps open. You saw Gray get loose. I, I believe they did pick up one first down on that drive, and then DG holds on to the ball a little bit too long. But another piece of the offense that, that seemed to uh, kind of take hold a little bit this week was you saw some guys step up at receiver, man. You saw some guys who were talked about in fall camp, some guys who we talked about here on the podcast um, who – I, believe, I think are fan favorites. We all know about 17. We all know that Mims is probably the, the go-to. I mean, not probably. He is the go-to guy. And you've got to have one of those. I mean, I would on any elite championship level team, if you don't have a guy who you can just trust to go get a first down, trust to make the catch, Right. Well, when that LSU game in 2003 was tight, who was Jay White looking for? He was looking for Mark Clayton. Mark Clayton made play after play in that game. And and you have to have players like that. And Mims is that for this team. But this week, you finally saw Jalil Farouk have a breakout game. Got his first touchdown of the year. You also saw uh, 10, Theo Weiss out there have a good game. And Drake Stoops, who has been consistent throughout the year, also had some critical catches that were sort of drive starters. And before we get into the details on the, on the receivers, I want to ask you about guys like him, right? Um, that Every team, at least the good ones, they, they obviously have their star guys, but they also seem to have players who... Maybe they're not the number one, so the defense really isn't isn't locking in or focusing in on what they're doing every play, but they seem to be guys who get the drive started. For OU, it seemed to be Drake Stoops. You know, Daniel Parker did that two weeks ago. Um, what goes into to those kind of players, right? Those guys who know they're not the number one target and know most of the time they're just going to have to block their ass off. Um, what goes into a guy's preparation at that kind of position and how critical is it to have receivers like that? By the way, I see what you did there. Basically, let me let me just let me just uh, interpret what he's saying. So, Mackie, you were never the one number one receiver. What was it like to be a guy who was an answer? <laughs> nah, you know, it's funny. It, 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 uh, it was a little different for us. There, believe it or not, there were weeks where I was the number one read. Uh, Leach is a very interesting guy, and he believes in weekly competition. But uh, to, <laughs> to your question, um, very integral part of the team. Guys, they're a very important ingredient to the team. They're literally like the mashed potatoes on that. You know, when you go and you and you want to get, you know, a, a medium or a medium rare steak, and then you want to make sure you got your, you know, you got your um, your vegetable, 
you know, you might have your asparagus or your broccolini, you know, that mashed potato, if you don't have that mashed potato, whether it's baked, loaded or whatever it is, it's kind of missing something. And so I wouldn't say, you know, the Drake Stoops um, of the of the offensive program are, are, are I don't want to slight them in any way because, man, Drake makes key plays and this is what two three this is his third year of being a guy who you know we've consistently had to depend on and so here's what drake provides and i think it's something that you know i made the the joke about myself because one reason i consistently got playing time for ou is because of two things number one i was always going to be in the window i was supposed to be in i mean i may have probably gotten two mental busts in two and a half years of playing two years and two games. I played for two years. And then my second game is I played two games, my junior year, maybe two. Drake is that guy. If you're running a progression route and and we got to do route recognition and see if they're jumping from a cloud to a three, or if they're going from a three and, and uh, or excuse me, going from a two. And then there's a safety uh, robbing coming in to, to basically um, turn it into a one. A matchup one, like the receiver has to recognize that and know where their holes are going to be. Drake Stoops is a kid that I've consistently seen on film um, be where he's supposed to be. And then number two, you hit on it, and a lot of people don't like to talk about it. In fact, Drake struggled here his freshman year, but blocking. And I think it's because he was a smaller guy and he really hadn't built up his own girth yet. He's gotten much bigger and more stout and he's got a stronger foundation. But on the edge, it is critical that receivers, you you never want to be the guy that, you know, a drive that was going to be um, a play that was going to pop and get you 25 or maybe even a touchdown with some of the guys we had at running back turns into an eight-yard gain and then boom, we go three and out. And Drake's a guy who I've noticed the last year and a half, I'd say this the latter half of last year and, and moving on towards this year, you don't see his guy making the tackle a lot on camera. And so when you've got those kind of players Think about it. Sometimes they develop into a Wes Welker. Sometimes they develop into a Hunter Renfro. Sometimes those guys develop and, you know, they, they develop into that number three receiver who goes on to play six, seven, eight, nine years in the NFL. Because, like I said, the NFL is a smart man's game, right? You see an Aaron Rodgers. He wants to know on third and seven, okay, I've got Devontae. We know Devontae's not there anymore, but I've got Devontae. He's my primary read. But if they bracket coverage him, they roll the safety over the top. Okay, I've got the tight end. And the tight end, ooh, there's a backer right on top of him stacked. And then the safety's walking down in the box. He needs to know his number three read. Oh, okay. This is going to give up. What they're giving me is the hole. Like, like, right. This is stuff that Aaron Rodgers or Baker Mayfield on those good OU teams. These are those plays. What's the guy's name? Lee Morris. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Right. He was a number three, right? We had CD and, and, and Hollywood, but Lee Morris was a guy when teams would say, we're going to take away these guys on the outside. Lee Morris is a tweener playing tight end, and he knew the middle of the field was going to be wide open. If I can beat this backer trying to carry me, if I can wiggle past this safety trying to right trying to stalk me, I could score a touchdown. And Woody, I think he scored six, five or six touchdowns that year on like on like less than twenty five catches. And so when you've got a Drake man, Drake, Drake that that's a championship ingredient, Barry. A Drake Stoops four years in the program or five years in the program. 
Um, you know, he's been around the block. He's been in the weight room. He's earned his stripes with his teammates. He's a guy who's made, the, you know, those catches he makes against Texas, right? That big catch he makes to either take us in overtime. I believe he took us in overtime with his catch one year. And some of those third down catches he made against Texas Tech at home, right, to put the game away early. Those are the types of plays when a, a DG comes in and he sits down and he watch film and you see Lebby and those guys looking at some of the games from last year and the year prior. And you see a Drake Stoops and you're like, OK, this is a guy we can depend on. He's going to be in the window he needs to be. And if we run, you know, whatever our special is, when we're going to be able to cave in, cave in the backside of the formation because they're going to overload the strong side, we're going to run weak. He's the guy we know is going to go chip that safety so that Majors or Eric Gray can get out the gate. We turn a nine-yard play into a 35-yard touchdown. So I uh, want to give special kudos to him. I'm glad you brought that up because I took pride in that too. Um, I was a guy who we would do this thing called crunch, uh, crunch bars. We'd watch film on Mondays and as receivers during the game, I would be like, I'm getting a crunch bar. And what a crunch bar is, is either you deplete somebody, which by the way, is probably a penalty today. <laughs> yeah. <And> I, <laughs> it's probably a penalty today, or you have a touchdown causing block. And my goal was every game to get one of those crunch bars and be, believe it or not, championship season, more than 50% of the games, I got a crunch bar. I was either going to be escorting Q into the to the end zone or I was catching an outside back or slipping. Oh, I, don't let me get a corner. If, you, if it's a cornerback and you slipping, I'm catching you for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like, I got to tell you, I didn't mind blocking, uh, but I also obviously, you know, wanted to see our team win. So Drake was great. Um, you brought up Farouk. I think we talked about this in the past as well. It was just timing and chemistry. There were plays to be had in week one and week two where either DG missed him or maybe the the the, what, the stick was a little too sharp or maybe the throw was a little too high. And, and the, you know, who who knows who who was off a little bit, but it felt good for them to get some chemistry because you said something to me. You sent me a text and you said that when he caught that that bang eight RPO post uh, for no, I was just it was just a three step slant. Actually, I think it was just a three step slant. But when Farouk catches that slant. He sticks his foot in the ground. It did kind of look like MC. It did kind of have mm. a little MC suddenness explosion where he's here and then he's there. And it was just so right nonchalant, but so explosive. And um, he definitely is a guy we got to find ways to make more plays. And uh, I'm looking forward, man. I wish DG catches him on that bang eight. The one that the one that DG messed up, but was the bang eight post where yeah. he's got him wide open. He gets to eight, sticks that foot in the ground, and and if he puts it on him, it's a foot race for about a 60-yard touchdown. So good to see other weapons are, uh, emerge, but I think you said it right. We, we're going to make our home cooking with uh, Mims and him continuing to get better. You brought up his explosion and seeing him look a lot more cat quick and a more um, his his speed, and I want you to talk about that. You know how he's catching the ball and really explosive and elusive this year, even more so than years past. Um, but how about that? A list of guys just at the receiver position, not to mention we had some phenomenal plays too. Um, it's good to see the offense, you know, start to spread it out and make plays. Well, and this is where, you know, that there's a lot of debate on how much of an impact a strength coach can have in year one. And <laughs> that it's, it is hotly debated on every forum <laughs> everywhere, it seems right now. Um, and and here, here's the truth. It, the, the, it's Both things are true. 
a strength coach who is there for a, a, a tenure, three, four, five, six years, you're going to see a more consistency in the program. You obviously are going to get guys stronger if they've been training two, three, and four years. However, if you have guys, individuals who are not at even just kind of that baseline capacity for, uh, for strength that you know they can be at, you can get a lot done in a very short period of time. You can see change pretty quickly, right? You're, you're not going to necessarily see a guy, you know, put on 40 pounds of muscle and all, all this stuff, right? This, some of that's a little maybe overblown, but you might see a guy put on three to five pounds of solid muscle, get a little bit leaner. He changes up that body composition. Now, all of a sudden, you're a little bit lighter on your feet. And I think what you're seeing with, with Mims this year, he's always had good top-end speed. When he gets to, to that second level and he, he starts kind of turning on the jets, he's not Hollywood Brown, but he's not, not necessarily far behind. And top-end speed is a little more of kind of not to get too in the weeds, but it's not just about you know being strong and 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 powerful and all that. Top end speed is a, a lot of other things: the ability to relax, the ability to maintain good posture, have good form, kind of all, all the things that go into anybody who's ever run run track, whether it's the 100, 200, whatever. You know that the way you start is not the same mechanics as when you um, get out of that and start hitting your top end, but where. He has, I think, kind of buttered his bread, if you will, in this offseason is he got noticeably stronger and that improved his acceleration. Like, I, I don't think that that is debatable, right? If you can improve your ability to isometrically contract and your ability to express force quickly, right, and express a, a lot of force, you are going to be faster. That's just the way that works. And he's had, looks like to me, some significant lower body development, some hamstring development that has contributed to this along with just his entire frame, right? Anytime you make your, your yourself stronger, everything changes, if you will. And I think he's become a lot better at getting through that initial wave. I went back and watched a little bit of Kansas State of last year just to kind of see if what I'm seeing is, you know, if, if it's really what I'm seeing or if it's just kind of crimson colored glasses, if you will. And his stop and start and his start off the line is, is noticeably different. Uh, but, man, the receivers played well. Can I say something about that real quick? Go, Can I say go something ahead. About that? Go ahead. Mims himself said, I, I just want to kind of, Mims himself said he put on eight pounds of muscle this year. He felt lighter than he ever has in his career, even though he's the heaviest he's ever played and he feels faster. So, you know, it, 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 it always is interesting to me to hear people and, you know, past judgment or their own opinions or whatever, like you, you actually have the opportunity to, to listen to and experience firsthand knowledge. And, and yeah. I'll back it up by also saying this, Barry, the 98 season we had, 
Blair Prince, who, by the way, was a was a, a you know an NFL strength guy before he was at OU, and his style, I don't think it was bad. It was different than Schmidt's. So, Damian in in ninety eight, um, I came in at one seventy seven. I ended the season at one eighty four. I put on seven pounds. By the way, I was coming off a knee injury. I was, I mean, you know, really bad knee injury, ACL, MCL, PCL. So I had lost a lot of weight and couldn't train my second half of my senior season because I toured in the state championship game. So that's that. But I had a full year with Blair. All right, nah, that's not true because he uh, because uh. That's not true. I got a full season. I had one full season. Well, I go from 184 to 193. I ran a 4-6 my freshman year coming off my knee. I run a 4-4-8 with one offseason with Schmitty. One. Mm. And I think my scenario, again, I'm coming off an injury, right? So there's a lot of things that I had yeah. to repair and improve and and I, I probably did twice as much cardio as the rest of the team. I did cardio an hour every day. They were trying to get my flexion and extension back because of the knee. It was pretty, you know, the scar tissue I built up pretty bad. But I saw guys who were D1 caliber guys in one year of working with Jerry Schmidt, bodies change because of the way we attacked weightlifting and because of the way he imposed our dietary habits. When Jerry Schmidt came, Big guys no longer had access to the stuff they had access to. He went and told the whole cafeteria, y'all got to take all this stuff out. We didn't even get to eat the stuff because the big guys, they knew the big guys were trying to sneak it. We had like a, we used to have an ice cream freezer. There used to be a freezer where you can get ice cream sandwiches and, 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 you know, the whole nine that was gone. When we traveled, we used to have an ice cream cart uh, bar. They used to have a hamburger bar, right? When we would go to OU Texas game, we would stay at the Wyndham. That you know, we would we would have meetings and stuff. After meetings, they'd have a little bar, a cart. It was a little bar, and, and you could go make double cheeseburgers. You could you could pick up ice cream and put fudge on it. He took all that out. He said, "Guys, diet is important." Our pregame meal it went from like really good pasta with great seasoning to like white meat, uh, uh, breast meat, and and like uh, bow ties with like vinaigrette on it. You know, and oh, guys, have <laughs> as much Gatorade as you want, like. Jerry Schmidt wasn't playing with our food. I remember we used to be like, man, pregame used to taste good. This is trash. And it wasn't trash. It just wasn't. It was very specific to what our needs were. So, you know, I, I, my experiences are anecdotal. I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that arena like you are, but I'm just here to say like one off season plus spring plus summer plus fall camp, dude, a 20 year old kid. That is a mountain's worth of opportunity to improve, get better, get faster, explosive, gain weight, and to change your body. I actually saw it happen in my experience when Jerry Schmidt came in the first time. And so, yeah, I, I see some of the, you know, back and forth in the conversations. And I always giggle because that's not my area. I'm not going to get in there and act like I know more than someone like you knows. But I did see it, you know, and, and I did talk to Mims. I actually did talk to Mims and he was like, yeah, man, I gained, I didn't know he was like 177, bro. You know, yeah. on, on TV, he looked like he may have been 185, but he was 177. He's like 184 and uh, he's gotten stronger. He's put on some weight. He feels lighter um, and he feels more explosive. And I'm like, man, that sounds a lot like my experience. The first year I had with Jerry Schmidt um, when I was in the same situation. Well, and 
people don't realize unless you've either seen it, you know, whether being part of a clinic or being an actual athlete in that system, division one level strength and conditioning is unlike anything you will ever experience if it's done right at the highest levels. It is it is your full-time job, essentially, go to school and to keep your body right, particularly at certain points in the year where you're not working on as much football stuff, you're working on more body stuff. And, you know, the reason that you'll see a guy transform in one year, a lot of times, you know, why that red shirt is really important for some players is you can't go out there and perform on game day because what they are asking you to do in your lifting sessions is just too much. You're not able to do it. That they're saying, we want you to eat. We want you to, you to lift, get stronger, get faster. And you're having players come in. Now, some are at schools like Allen, at schools like Union, at schools like, you know, you name it, modern day, IMG, places like that where they have um, Bixby shoot Bixby and now Mustang here very soon. Um, you have schools like that that have top level strength and conditioning programs at their high school. So you might have athletes come in from those schools a little more game ready and a little closer to that, you know, ceiling, uh, that college ceiling, but they're it's not what they're going to experience, particularly on the nutrition piece, where they make sure that you get your nutrition in. They make sure that your protein intake is where it needs to be, that your carb intake and your hydration, all of those are instrumental and the most important part. Like you can do all the training in the world. If you don't refuel, you're it's you say goodbye to anything, any long lasting change you want to have happen. So you cannot discount one one off season, man. It, it can make a a tremendous difference. I, I think Mims is a great example. Gray is a great example. Um, Billy Bowman, who was already a great athlete, another good example. A lot of guys. I even think Stutzman, and I know you pointed out Downs. There's just so many guys who have changed their explosiveness, their 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 power, their strength, and it was eight or nine months. You know, and that that's what it took. Um, and I say those guys, boy, that was a good segue. Um, I mentioned those guys because we had the chat going, man. We were talking about it early in the game. You brought up some things about the scheme. And I know that this is what the listeners are here for. That's why we put it in the in the middle, you know, to keep you guys engaged. <laughs> you, we terrible. know. We know you guys are here for the defense, and they ended up showing out in a way that we have not seen in quite a while. Uh, that's just putting it putting it blankly. Um, they have they they went out there and they performed. Uh, Dmac first uh, to talk a little bit. We'll get into individual players, but the scheme and the way they lined up in that first snap. What were your what were your initial thoughts? <laughs> you want to know my initial thoughts were? I yeah. was pissed. I was pissed, bro. I was so upset. When we pre-snap, we line up in a 30 front. I'm like, what in the fudge are we doing? Like Grimes had shown potential. The D tackles were playing with penetration. I thought it would be good for us to clog up the A gaps. 
you know, and not give Thompson a comfortable area to step up and throw the ball. I was having flashbacks of Texas and we line up in a 30 front. And by the way, go watch the first, the first possession. We line up in a 30 front and we're base. The backers are, 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 are splitting the, the, the nose and the two ends, um, the overhangs. It's, it's literally like a, a Nintendo, uh, uh, what's the, what's the name? John Madden football, 1993, 34 defense. There's three linemen over the center and the two tackles, maybe inside straight on the tackles. And then there's two middle backers and there's two outside, like, like overhang guys. Oh, I was just like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And what did they proceed to do? They went down and just scored the ball. I think they had a third down and picked it up, but right there, they're cooking. They're cooking. And so I say to myself, I say, you know, are downs and grimes big enough to to contain the edge as a 34 dn i don't think so and i'm like what are we doing like why is this like an experiment i was confused right i was utterly confused i sent the text message to somebody like what am i looking at why the hell did we take the first two weeks to go on a 40 front and why are we taking a big guy off the field when we know something that nebraska is probably going to try to do is control uh, the clock and run the football, especially from a base. So they score. All right, Barry, I'm upset. I'm upset. And then the second possession. Holy moly, Barry! I counted from the second to the fifth possession. So I think they go three and out, three and out. Uh, I think they go three and out back to back to back. We in 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 nine defensive snaps, we identify four different edge defenders. And I say, oh shoot. In nine in nine consecutive snaps, we show blitz eight times, but only blitz five times. And of the five times we blitz. We blitz from an opposite person that is showing up in the line of scrimmage. And obviously, so we get three sacks. I, um, White gets a great sack. By the way, we're going to talk about players and how this impacted the players. Um, Ethan Downs has a phenomenal tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Leilao has a sack. Uh, and then Redmond has a sack. I believe those are our three sacks in those possessions. They're made, you know, there's some other plays behind the line of scrimmage too. We have great plays behind the line of scrimmage. But I'm watching, and so the first possession, they go three and out. Um, we we all three plays, three snap. Our linebackers, our overhangs, and even our D linemen are lined up in different positions. All three plays. Someone is in a different position for three consecutive plays. And the second possession. We blitz, I believe, two out of three. I got to go back and watch. I didn't, I didn't write it down, but I believe we blitz two out of the three plays. And one we get home, the other one we we stuff it. So I'm looking, and I, I'm really trying to process at this point. B, I'm like, what? Are we, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, this is working. Obviously, I'm excited, right? I'm happy, but I'm looking at Grimes. I'm looking at Downs. You know, I'm looking at Johnson. Seventy-seven was in on a couple of those possessions, and they're rotating the big guys out. And I said, holy freaking moly, we're not making our D linemen be edge defenders. So because I started reverting back to the 30 defense we ran with Mike for. You remember that? We ran a 30 mm -hmm. with Mike. 
for a couple of years yeah. and then we would have the jack packer basically we were running a 40 essentially but it was a 30 with the jack and it was a bend but don't break play soft i think that the, the the technique they used was catch or uh, i forgot this there was a term they used it was such a pussy term i forgot the term but i'm looking and i said ah he's moving around because we got tweeners we don't have true D tackles that can, we got big guys who can plug, but they can't penetrate. So I said, this is genius, right? We were, remember, we were talking about, I, what did I say last week? I said downs is a, is two biscuits away from a, from a yeah, three technique. From a three tech. Yep. Guess what he essentially did. He put downs and grimes in positions where they got to play with against guards. They got to be able to shoot a gap because Right. Typically, your defensive end's primary concern is to be the contained defender when the quarter, if the quarterback breaks the pocket, if they run some type of um, like sweep or outside zone or some type of play. Well, we got to we got to contain the edge. And then obviously, if there's some type of screen like you're you're the first primary person responsible in that flat area. Well, there's a play. I think it's the fourth possession. All three of our D linemen are on one side of just the center to their their left tackle or the right side of our defense. So we have our our D end, our nose, and the other D end lined up over the center guard tackle on just the right side of the formation. Stuntsman and I want to say DU are playing up on the other side of the line. But imagine being an O-lineman, you don't know who to block. Right. These guys are like, holy shit. And then imagine being Grimes and and on the play, the corner's the edge defender. So Grimes has full board, you know, obviously he has a gap, right? Everything, everything predicated in BV's defense is gap assigned, assignment football, always. But imagine your Grimes. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a level back here in a second. Imagine your Grimes and he's like, Hey man, you got the B gap, or you got the center guard gap. No, 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 you got the guard tackle gap. Um, if the, if the guard shows, beat him outside. If the center shows, beat him inside. If the center caves come right off his ass, like a bat out of hell, but your primary responsibility is get penetration up the field. Don't worry about the edge. The corner's coming on a cat, right? It's called a cat blitz, right? Corners, they show, and then boom, they come off that edge. And now the corner's the edge defender. He's putting our guys in position where they don't have to contain the edge. If Nebraska decides to run a power or a pitch or sweet to that side, there's a corner coming to clean everything up. Oh my God. So, so obviously it worked, it's working, right? So then I'm like, damn, okay. The fifth possession, Barry, we line up and I don't remember exactly what the front is. We're in a 30 front, obviously. And, and we bring three and drop eight. Guess what happens? Redmond gets through free. Why do you think Redmond would get through free? I mean, obviously he's a talented guy. He's quick, but, there's another reason why he gets through so free. You know why? Because the O-line doesn't know who to block. See, imagine playing football, and, and I'm going to get to the psychology about this here in a second, but imagine playing, or don't imagine, most football players, we, we get it cyclical. Like, it, it, be, it there's, there's second nature habits. You're a DN, you know he's going to either try to, you know, beat you around the corner, or he's going to try to dip inside, or he might try to power through you. There isn't a lot of variety. So when you're a left tackle, you're a right tackle, you line up in a 40 front, that DN, you know the DN can't give up the edge, so he's going to be a little bit, um, he's going to be a little bit, you know, uh, careful 
about getting too far afield or about crashing down too low. But imagine what it feels like to be a left tackle or a right tackle. In one play, there's no linemen lined up on you, period. And then the next play, there's three linemen on you, the guard, and then the center. And then the next play, there's a there's a middle linebacker lined up on you. And then the next play, there's a corner coming off the edge. All of a sudden, you got a lot of thinking to do. All of a sudden, the normalcy that is typical football is not so normal anymore. And then the next possession, we line up in a very bland 30 front. And the guy lined up over you, you're wondering if he's going to be there or if he's going someplace else. He just runs right by you and literally Redmond gets a sack and we're only bringing three defenders. I said, ah, this is amazing. The second thing it does, and I'm not going to bring up the psychology part first, but you look at a Clayton Smith, you look at a you look at a, a DU to a lesser degree. You look at a this 23 Deshaun White. And these guys are guys who, when put in space, they've shown over and over and over again on film, they struggle. They struggle when put in space. They're a step late. They're thinking, right? They give up a little too much air. You know, their angles is, is a little improper, so they give up the edge. Well, this 30 front, you know what it did? It put 23 in a position where BV's like, hey, bro, you got to split the C-gap. Run, split the C-gap if you're coming. If you're not coming, you're just responsible for the hole. Sit there. It's going to be quick game because we're bringing heat. That's your spot. There's no ors. There's not a lot of ifs. There's not a lot of innuendo. You get to come down speed or excuse me, downhill full speed or you have one assignment. All of a sudden, Clayton, he's a lot more viable in our defense. All of a sudden, Deshaun White He's a plus athlete because he's never he's never lacked the athleticism. It's always been the part of the game where he has this or that and this adjustment, and he was doing it in space. Now he's either he's either coming upfield and, 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 and taking up grass, or he has one responsibility. And all of a sudden, you know, he's second on the team in tackles. He probably leads the team in tackles and has his best game ever as a Sooner if he doesn't get kicked out in the middle of the second quarter. Yeah. Kudos to him, but more so kudos to Coach V for creating a scheme that puts him in position to win. Go watch Clayton. One of the best games he's ever had. Yeah. Well, you know why? Why? Because he's a tweener. Right, he doesn't really have a position in the forty front. He's too small. He cannot take on a left tackle and a tight end. He can't even take on a right tackle by themselves. Right, like he's a guy who needs to be attacking. He's really a jack. He's really a, a, a oboe is what he really is. But we don't we don't deploy that defense anymore. Well, VV created a space where you can put him in a position to say, "Hey, twenty, go destroy the B gap." But you know what? This next snap, go act like you're going to do it and just buzz the flats. By the way, the ball might be coming quick because it's quick game. Get your hands up. You might get a pick six. Imagine how fun that is. You're a 6'2", 241-pound sophomore who's coming out as a highly regarded five-star recruit. And you're trying to figure out where your spot is on the defense. And the defensive coach is insightful enough and intelligible enough to say, hey, we're going to create a scheme that works for our 
guys. Man, I was so happy. I was happy to see 23 be successful. I was happy to see Clayton be successful. I was happy to see Downs be. Everybody's like, look at Downs. He's like, dude, he's in a totally different scheme. <laughs> like, you do know he's not doing what he would have to do if he was a DN. If he was a DN, he couldn't just crash. Like, that play he got when they did the jet sweep, and he just he, he split the, the, the tackle and the guard. He can't do that as a DN. Hmm. He, 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 there's no way his response, unless we're bringing a backer right off that same edge and the backers, the edge defender, but like he's in a position now where he can go be a dog and play aggressive football. So I, 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 you know, that's the first part. Obviously I'm going to let you jump in here. Cause I want to hear you. I want to hear what you saw. You saw, you saw a lot of stuff on the game too, but what I was, what my biggest takeaway on, on, on the first half of it is coach V knows his talent. And he's creating game plans to put them in position to win. The other thing I want to talk about is K-State because this is going to be very interesting for them. But I want to hear you jump in first, brother. Talk to me. What were some of the things that you noticed and and, and uh, what are a couple of takeaways? Thank you all for tuning into another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. Please make sure to go leave a rating and review. Also, follow the socials at the Barry and Mac Show, at Dame That Dude, and at BWISE Fitness, letter B W I S E Fitness. Also on Twitter at, at Barry and Mac S H W. Part two of today's episode coming out in about 48 hours so make sure you're subscribed and following so you do not miss when the episode drops